Production. Recorded live. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is Thursday, February 5th, 2009. It is in the stillness of the moment that we come to know thy heart's desires. Embrace your higher self, relax, and let your mind attune to the awareness of the present moment filled with peace, joy, love, truth, your heart's desires, and all you can imagine. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. I am a physician, clairvoyant, and clairaudient intuitive, writer, public speaker, PR and marketer, personal advisor to visionaries, leader, and spiritual teacher. Please explore more on my website at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. This evening, prior to our honorable guest for the hour, Dr. Daniel Condren, I'd like to take a moment to honor the late Millard Fuller. He passed away on Tuesday, February 3rd, at the age of 74. I have with me tonight, for a brief reflection of Mr. Fuller, my dear friend and respectful based on the Fuller's life story experience, the house that loves the story of Miller and Linda Fuller, Habitat for Humanity and the Fuller Center for Housing. Welcome, Betty, and thank you for joining me this evening to honor the life and service of Mr. Fuller. Thank you so much. It's a privilege. So share with me your experience with Mr. Fuller and give us a reflection of of what we can each take from what you've gained from the time that you spent with him and his experience. Surely. Well, you know, Millard and Linda founded Habitat for Humanity and then in 2005 departed from Habitat and founded the Fuller Center for Housing. And, of course, he was a much decorated um, person. I mean, he was certainly a world citizen. He you know, earned every award from 50 honorary doctorates through the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So people understood his greatness of service. But to know him personally was even a step beyond all of that. Um, I would say that, you know, what he stood for more than anything else was that he loved humanity beyond just what most of us common people could even understand. He found the good in you no matter what. He was never impatient, and he just taught us all that the most basic principle we all can live with is to learn to love one another. And, you know, he always preached the theology of the hammer, which was, don't tell me you love me, show me. If I need a home, help me get into one. If I need a coat, make sure I have one. Just that whole ability to be with other people and to make sure that they had um, what he, you know, what he called just honoring of the soul. And it was just such a special privilege to know him. Uh, certainly his legacy in Habitat for Humanity and, and even the Fuller Center for Housing, he put a million people in homes. I mean, a million people have a roof over their head to call home. And a home was so basic for Millard because he believed that when you got up in the morning to go out the door, to go to school, to go to work, to come home at night, to do your homework, to love your family, to be with others, a house was the most basic place where life could you know, happen and where you could uh, reach for the stars and you could excel. You could have a respite from the world. And so his legacy was to create homes. But, um, it, you know, such an exciting way. Habitat for Humanity was 
was created from a crisis. He had a crisis in his marriage, and he was working, you know, just a workaholic working around the clock. And in order to just have more time with his wife, he gave up his job. They gave away every cent they had, which and he at that time he was a millionaire. And he gave away every single penny. And he said the only way to really experience life is to be right down on that level where, you know, you are really turning your your eyes heavenward and saying, you know, here I am, send me. What is it, you know, God, you want me to do? And to know someone who lived that every walking minute of his life uh, was just such a privilege. What an amazing experience. And how has he personally changed your path? Well, I served on the board with him, and I have known the Fullers for many years. And, um, you know, uh, so I've known his work, and I've watched him be such an honorable person. I've watched him love my family members. Um, You know, just to be in the presence of someone who says what he means and means what he says and finds fault with absolutely no one. You know, just absolutely believes that you are a soul and and you're just giving your best moment, and, and that's it. Um, to watch someone live their principles in every moment, in good times, bad times, up times, down times, was for me an exercise in perfecting my own nature. And certainly I learned to be more benevolent, and certainly I learned a philosophy of, of philanthropy, you know, just to realize that it's all about giving and sharing with others and to help them. Uh, something that my daughter pointed out to me, my daughter and her Steve and their baby, she came to came over when they'd learned that Millard had died, and she said, "Mom, my heart is just so heavy." She said, "Do you know that at Christmas time we sent him a, a Christmas card, and we got a letter back that he had handwritten, and it was just, oh, your baby is so beautiful, and you are so wonderful, and your Steve is so wonderful, and I appreciate all the times you've taken me here and there, and you know, and I appreciate your mother, and you know, what are you going to do next year, and all of this." just in response to a Christmas card. And Millard sent out between two and 300 letters a day. There was not a person whose path he crossed who did not get a letter or some phone call or something. He acknowledged people as though it was all that mattered. And that, to me, in our fast-paced world, I mean, sometimes you send an email to someone and they don't even read it thoroughly. You know, they quickly, it's, it's all in sound bites. And Millard taught me, that patience and to take time with people was, you know, that time was the richest commodity of our lives and to use every moment of it fully. Absolutely. I see um, one of his quotes, and I'll just I'll leave with this. I see life as both a gift and a responsibility. My responsibility is to use what God has given me to help his people in need. And I thought that quote really summed up what he offered to the larger humanity through his international organization that transformed the lives of many for the better and also for the people like yourself who knew him on an intimate level and really reiterated to use your gifts in service. Right, and then to to find no conflict. You know, that is something that's so special, to know someone. I knew them for him for 25 years, and to, to, to find no conflict in what he said or what he did, to see somebody actually walk, you know, their talk and to... Uh, and to live it so fully was such a joy. I, I invite you to learn more about his life in the book, The House That Love Built, and to get involved with the Fuller Center for Housing and to you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with other volunteers and help others put a roof over their heads. There's nothing we could do that would honor Millard more 
than to, within our own communities, just look around us and help others who need. And you can find more information to continue to support his mission at thefullercenter.org on the web? That's correct. And you www.thefullercenter.org. And if you're near the San Diego area, we have a Fuller Center here as well. Great. And also they, uh, the audience can find more information about the book, The House That Love Built, on your website at www.bettyyoungs.com. Yes, thank we, you so we, much. And it's B-E-T-T-I-E-Y-O-U-N-G-S. And thank you thank for that. You, Betty. We thank extend you our sincere condolences to the Fuller family, and we'll be holding loving thoughts and prayers at this time of loss. Thank you so much. Thank you. So tonight on Evolution Revolution, I am honored to have an appearance from Dr. Daniel Condren, who's been a teacher of mind, the self, and metaphysics in practicing meditation for over 30 years. After 25 years of meditation service and teaching, Daniel became, excuse me, Daniel developed a still mind. And after 27 years of meditating, he became aware of the present moment. After 28 years of meditating, he achieved an open heart. And after 29 years of meditating, Daniel experienced the emptiness. He explains this emptiness in his book, The Emptiness Sutra. Dr. Condren is a certified biofeedback specialist highly credentialed with a doctorate of metaphysics, holds a doctorate of divinity, a well-rounded master of science from the University of Missouri in international agricultural development, and a fundamental bachelor of science from the University of Missouri in agricultural economics. His extensive credentials are evident in his writing creations and powerful offerings to planet Earth at this most critical time in human evolution. Dr. Condren is also the discoverer and developer of the sacred ley lines of the 1,500-acre College of Metaphysics campus. He has supervised the planting of sacred geometric forms on the campus in addition to the universal wall that is in development at the campus seeking out pieces of authentic rocks, crystals, or clay from places across the globe to add to their vibrationally transforming peace wall. Dr. Condren has endeavored upon multiple spiritual journeys to India and is a teacher, educator, writer, composer, recording producer, agriculturist, ecologist, landscape designer, and fully dedicated to knowing the self and mind for over 30 years. He is the author of over a dozen books including The Emptiness Sutra, The Purpose of Life, Permanent Healing, and The Secret Code of Revelation. During the next hour, Daniel and me will discuss his latest book, The Still Mind, Present Moment, Open Heart, The Hope of the World. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you for joining us tonight on Evolution Revolution. Well, it's great to be on your show again. Wonderful. We love to have you back. Thank so you. what was your personal inspiration for this very meaningful book, The Still Mind, Present Moment, and Open Heart, and what do you hope that others will gain from this book? Well, it's kind of interesting uh, as you described in uh, uh, just a minute ago and talking a little bit about my life, uh, it's been an pro- ongoing process of, of growth and, and mental discipline of meditation and concentration and dream interpretation, visualization, breath work, life force, and so on for over 30 years. And uh, at the same time I was doing that, I was doing service through a not-for-profit organization, making it my full-time life's work, uh, haven't gotten paid, drawn a salary for over 20 years. It's just service. And uh, and then uh, 
also the, the teaching aspect where I teach other people to do those same things. Uh, and, and through that process, uh, after a while my, uh, of meditating, concentrating, and, and teaching these things, uh, after about 25 years of it, my mind became still. And it was I'd practice concentration, so there was cer a certain space sometimes between my thoughts when they'd wander or whatever. But after a while, one time I realized my mind is completely still. And it was uh, very powerful, very um, revealing. And and then the next thing happened once I got my mind stilled was, oh, a year or so later was I started reali realizing what the present moment is. And people might think, well, everybody knows about the present moment, you know. But, but really, most people, even the, the most people, about 90, 95% of the thoughts they think every day are memory thoughts. The thought, same thoughts they thought the day before, the day before, the day before. And so that leaves about 5, maybe 10% of different thoughts. And of those 5 or 10%, a lot of those thoughts are of the future, of what they're going to do tomorrow or what they're planning on or anything. So that leaves very, very little time to be in the present moment. What I was able to do and develop was learn how to cause myself to be in the present moment. And you see, the present moment is the only true reality because the future is, is a, an imagined future. And the past is a brain memory, of a partial brain memory of something we've thought about or seen or experienced before. So the only true time we have to do anything, achieve anything, accomplish anything, be anything, is the present moment. And so that's what's the most important thing. After that, after the present moment for a while, and I, for, after several years of that, and it's still mine, my heart became open. And so... Um, from then, I was able to receive um, the greater need to help all humanity. So now my ideal is, and I, this question comes to me more and more often, how can I help everyone? You know, I just I just heard what your show you were talking about with the, the man that started Habitat for Humanity, and I can really uh, appreciate what he did. And, and uh, so my heart's open to trying to help as many people as I can to, through uplifting consciousness is, is how, how I would describe it. So that's been the ongoing process that led to this book, and, and I'm starting to do work now and, and uh, teachings and seminars, both here at the College of Metaphysics and in uh, the cities. I'm just starting this year to do some things in the cities. That is wonderful. I definitely can appreciate the way that you present information, um, having read multiple books that you've written. And in the still mind, present mo moment, open heart, you really take a simple approach to bringing forth profound truth. How did you do that? Well, it's, it, it, that's a story, too. Um, after I, my mind had began, become still, I decided I'd teach a class to here at the College of Metaphysics to advanced students that would come all, from all over the country once a month, mostly the Midwest, from our branch centers. We have 15 branch centers in cities as far away as Chicago and Cincinnati and Dallas. and They could come in once a month and take a class with me on the still mind, and we said in still mind, open-eyed meditation. And so I started teaching this class. And about the third time I taught it, the third class I taught, uh, I've taught three, I teach it at a, a nine-month course, one month, class a month. But the third class I taught in the, fir uh, the first class, third class I taught in the first course I taught, the first nine-month course, uh, I had this experience. I, was, I asked people to write down their experiences at the end of, we said in still mind meditation for two hours straight. And uh, at the end of the time, I asked them to write down their experiences. And so while they were writing, I thought I would write down my experience. And then this 
something began to flow through me, and I was writing and writing and writing, and after a while I looked up and I thought all my students were done writing, so I said, I better stop here. So I went on with class, listened to what they had to say about their experiences, and finished up the classwork. But later on that afternoon, I had this real deep feeling and thought, I'm not done writing, so I sat down and wrote the rest of it. And that came, and what came out of that was a book called The Emptiness Sutra, which I wrote uh, a couple years ago. Well, since that time, it came to me that I need to write a book that explains the steps to get to an empty, emptiness or this emptiness. And so each day I would sit down and write, and I would write uh, consciously. I chose only this, this case, I chose the still mind, and I'd write consciously for just a few days, and then I had that, and in the present moment, open heart, with very little changes to the book. And it was because it was like coming from the alignment of conscious and subconscious minds and attunement to superconscious mind, so I didn't have to think much about it in advance. I could say, I'm going to write about this subject, this is what I've been doing for 30 years, and this is what I've developed, and then it would just flow out of me. And so both of them, both these books came from deep within superconscious mind. The difference was the second, first one came spontaneously, the Emptiness Sutra. The second one, the Still Mind, Present Moment, Open Heart book, came two years later, and by that time I was able to cause that superconscious experience to move through my body and move through it into my hand where I could write it out. So that's the process of how it happened. And uh, one, they're just like uh, one, go, one book goes with the other. They help to explain, and especially Still Mind, Present Moment, Open Heart helps to explain the emptiness. And the funny thing is, since I've written the Still Mind, Present Moment, Open Heart, I've, I've found more and more books and more and more um, writings from all different kinds of authors all over the world that allude to it or briefly talk about this subject or mention it. For example, like there's one phrase in the Bible that says, be still and know that I am God. But that's all it says. You know, It doesn't say much more about it. Um, and so what I've found is that what's referred to a little bit in some of these places I've talked about a lot and have experienced it. So that's what I'm teaching to public. Anyway, what I wanted to say about this is that I think this is the hope of the world, because that's the subtitle of this Still Mind, Present Moment, Open Heart book, The Hope of the World, because the still mind, if people can learn to still their mind, then they can consciously choose their thoughts. If they can consciously choose their thoughts, they won't be habitual. If the thoughts aren't habitual, they can choose productive thoughts. And I really think that will help solve bring about world peace and solve a lot of the problems in the world because people won't have whole old grudges, old habits, old jealousies, old angers and stuff. They'll be in the present moment. Yes, what you've just described is a, a key point in um, in the book and also in, in the consciousness that led to this book. And So it's distinguishing the ego-identified being versus the soul or I am-identified being. Right, right. Um, most people are locked into the brain. The brain is a physical, a physical organ of the physical body, just like the heart and just like the um, uh, liver. But the mind, now that's a whole different substance. That's the structure for knowing the self. And to get in the mind, to be in the mind, people have to, to be able to cause oneself to be in the mind themselves regularly. One has to practice some type of mental discipline, or we call it spiritual disciplines, uh, different people call it different things, but nonetheless, it's discipline of the consciousness and the mind and the being and the self. And some people get that through through disciplined prayer, where they pray like an hour a day or something, or other people get it through meditation, where they learn to still the mind and receive what their inner self or high self or creator or I am gives to them. Other people do it through uh, 
martial arts or yoga where they're disciplining their body, but at the same time they're learning to discipline their minds. So there's a number of ways we can do it. The point is we have to learn to discipline the mind if we're ever going to have a sane world where, where there's peace that reigns supreme. People have to have discipline over themselves. So, and that is a challenge. <laughs> it, it is a big challenge, but the benefits are worth it. I mean, that's the difficulty. It's you know telling people, oh, you should sit down for an hour, hour, hour of your day and meditate, or even a half hour, twenty minutes, and and then you know in, in addition do some other things like maybe a concentration exercise, or maybe uh, uh, write your dreams down and, and learn to interpret them. People say, I don't have time for that. The point is, once they start being in their mind and disciplining their mind, they will be so much more efficient and productive with their day's activities that they will uh, get more accomplished with less time, so they'll actually get more accomplished by doing an hour meditation or half-hour meditation and some concentration of their than if they did before, because everything will be efficient with what they're doing with their mind. Yes, in the Still Mind Present Moment Open Heart, you recommend some mental disciplines that are practiced daily in order to achieve the still mind. Would you like to go over those and then maybe um, briefly introduce people to how they can begin to tap into that? Yeah, yeah Great. I would. I'll, I'll mention them briefly, but I've mentioned some of them before, but I'll get a little, little more detail. Okay, great. The first thing we teach when, first things we teach in the School of Metaphysics is concentration. And we do that with this an object of picking an object of, of concentration to focus the attention on. Something that usually works with the sense of sight, like a candle flame or a dot on the wall or a doorknob or the tip of your finger. And basically you hold your attention there for 10 minutes. You get a timer and, and uh, keep it there until the, until the timer buzzes or dings. And if the attention wanders, you bring it back. And you just keep doing that to teach yourself that you can put your attention where you want. When I give this exercise to people, sometimes they, they don't even know what attention is. They'll say, what am I supposed to think of if, it, if I'm giving them a candle flame? What am I supposed to think of flame, 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 or finger, 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 if I'm looking at a finger? So the only thing they know is to repeat a word. They don't even know what attention is. So they don't know how, to, how their attention wanders to bring it back. The only thing they can relate attention to is some sound or a word or a sight, like flame, flame, flame. So the first thing is just teaching people what attention is, the sense of attention, and how they can control then the sense of attention with their will. Because until you can do that, you're really at the whim, the person is at the whim of their environment. Whatever advertisement, big ad sheet, uh, big TV show, whatever somebody's trying to sell you, uh, whatever grabs your attention, you're just at the whim of that because that's where your attention will go, the person's attention will go. So... By learning to master our attention, we became, become powerful in our own right. I'll give you an example from my own experience. After practicing some concentration and meditation exercises for about, oh, four or five months, one day I was driving down the street in Columbia, Missouri, where I was living at the time, and it came to a stoplight on Broadway, and I stopped and took my car, uh, put, pushed the clutch in, put the brake on, and I was waiting for the stop light to change from red to green, and then my mind started wandering, and for some reason it was on food, probably there was a sign, or I drove by a restaurant, and it went from this food to food I'd had a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, and all the different kinds, and then all, all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, I don't want to think about food, I want all my attention on this red stop light, stop sign, until it turns green, and so I brought all my attention back and held it there until the stop sign turned to green, I put the car in gear, 
and drove it forward feeling one of the most powerful sensations I'd ever felt in my whole life because at that point I knew I had power, power of my own mind, power to direct and use my own mind. And uh, I had those, I've had those kind of revelations step by step throughout my life as my awareness and consciousness continue to grow and progress. So. That is a fascinating, fascinating exercise. It's so simple yet so powerful just to concentrate on something such as the red light <laughs> right. or, and, or an object. Yeah, and so and so we teach concentration first because if a person's attention can't, can't concentrate, how are they going to meditate? Because you've got to hold your mind still in meditation, still on your third eye or the eye of awareness or on if you want to do it from a religious perspective on God from God or Jesus or Christ or Buddha or, or you just want to uh, look for the uh, stillness for listen for the answer to your prayers if from your subconscious mind whatever you, in any of those perspectives you still have to still the mind in order to listen so the concentration then can then be applied for the specific purpose of undivided attention in listening for the answer to your prayer or listening to the inner self and inner guidance and so that is how concentration leads to meditation and so that's a process that continues and continues until from that still listening comes expanded consciousness so those those are some of the step-by-step processes along the way i also practice things like visualization to be able to image what i wanted i practice life force to see life force going into all areas of my body which stimulate the minor and the minor major chakras and uh and uh, I've done chakra work and uh, pierced all the chakras with kundalini energy and all those kind of things too. But those those are all predicated and built on these basic steps that I'm presenting and all these basic things and these these truths that are that are universal that are in the Still Mind Present Moment Open Heart book. Um, uh, people need to know them and hear them. And once they hear people, when they hear these truths, they usually go in because there's something about truth when you hear it, pure truth. It seems like for people that are open to it, it resonates. Like just the first, the first part, first line, the first page of the Still Mind book says, "The Still Mind is of utmost importance for all of humanity." Most people think too much. They may think they are producing more by thinking more, but ultimately, this brings collapse of one's mental, emotional, and physical health. So, by stilling the mind, you're actually producing more. You're healthier because you relieve the relieve the stress. There is no stress in the still mind. It's only by thinking that we bring about stress. Thinking fearful thoughts, angry thoughts, doubtful thoughts, jealous thoughts. Those those are what produce stress. And so it's much healthier to learn to still the mind. And as you mentioned, it's very empowering. So that empowerment probably has some direct relation to being willing to open the heart as we embrace the moment. Exactly. As we embrace the moment then what happens is um, we start developing compassion for other people. I I spent 25 years trying to understand compassion, actually over 30 years now, and I'm just starting to understand compassion in the last year or two. The best I could get to before was that it was like love. You know, we talk about the compassion of Buddha. Well, I thought, well, that's kind of like Jesus was the... Uh, Prince of Peace and his quality is divine love. But but after 30 years, I'm starting to understand what compassion is. And that came after the heart was open. You're right. And uh, 
you're right, Dulcinea, that the heart has to open, and then we get compassion when we realize that uh, there's a universal nature of reality, which is called, called connectedness, and everything's connected with everything else. So what we do to another person, we do to ourselves. What we do to ourselves, we do we put out that vibration and in some ways do it to the whole universe because our thoughts are things. That's the universal truth. Thought, thoughts are things. So the thoughts we have not only bring situations and circumstances of like nature to us, they also determine who and what we'll become. As we think, so we, we become because thoughts are things. In the book, what do you mean when you say that eternity is in the present moment? Ah, I have person. Ask me that. I've got a, a, ver, a very good friend. His name is Reverend Samuel Price, and he's a minister. Um, and he asked me that question one time, and he said, what's your understanding of eternity? And I said, I tried to say things, but it's, it's stuck in my mind because I didn't feel like I gave him the best answer. Nobody ever asked me that before. And so then after thinking about it for six months, I saw him again, and I said, Remember that you asked me that question? I said, yes. He said, yes. And I said, I can tell you the answer now. He said, okay. And I said, eternity is the present moment. And and the reason for that is is because eternity, uh, the present moment is all we have. So eternity, if eternity is forever and the present moment is all we have, then the present moment has to be forever too because it's all we have. So the present moment has to be Eternity has to be a way of describing the present moment. And the present moment describes what we always have, which is eternity. And it's and it's a different way of looking at it. Most people think of eternity as like something that's going to happen after you die or something. You know, and you go someplace and you get it. But that's separatist thinking. That's not the nature of the universe. The nature of the universe is connectedness. And so we are right here right now and we'll always be here right now the present moment is just life is just a, a series of present moments that seem to move into the future and then we remember the past and so that is what eternity is and that's why I say the only time you have power is in the present moment and that's the only time to know eternity and that's the only time to know what it is means to be an eternal being people think after they're dead or after they go to heaven or after they become enlightened, then they'll be an eternal being or no eternal being. What you have to know is the present moment right now to know eternity. Yes, and I, when I was reading the book and I read that, I saw a visualization of the present moment being a dot in time and it being connected up with like a gold beam of light into the infinite abundance. So I got a picture of the universal law of attraction or manifestation in its most infinite form and then brought it back into the present moment idea. So what I'm saying, I guess, is that, you know, a lot of people are talking about the hype of the secret and the law of attraction. Well, the way that I immediately connected with this concept of eternity being in the present moment is, well, there's infinite resources available to you in this second and the next second and the next second because that's how I live my life with evolution revolution and my and my personal experience and I thought wow how empowering not only with that law of manifestation but with also just being in the moment to embrace the consciousness using all of the universal laws <laughs> exactly and that's the time we can use them is in the present moment or we don't it's it becomes a choice 
once the mind is disciplined. For people that have undisciplined minds, you can say, well, you can always choose free will or you can choose this or that. But if you don't even know, if a person doesn't even know their thoughts and isn't able to have much willpower or doesn't even know what attention is, really how much choice does a person have? It's when we start disciplining the mind and learning what the will is and learning what the attention is and making conscious choices. That's when we have conscious choice. That's when we have can exercise free will. That's when we become conscious. A lot of people aren't, aren't very conscious. It requires effort and practice to become conscious. You know, that's one of the questions that I, I brought about is there's so many simple truths, yet how come it's so challenging to integrate these simplistic truths into our existence? Because the mind, as it moves out, because in superconscious mind, everything's simple. <laughs> and it's fairly simple in subconscious mind, but, but more complex. And then in our physical world, if the energy moves from conscious from the superconscious to subconscious to the conscious mind in the physical universe, it becomes complicated. Why does it seem to become complicated? Because our five physical senses tell us that everything gives us the illusion that everything is separate from us. And so our our science, our scientific science, Newtonian science, our uh, body of knowledge, our way of reacting to the world, our cities, uh, businesses, and everything are built up on that idea of separation. And uh, even even religions, or some religious people talk about dying and going to heaven, but heaven's right here, right now. It's, it may be at a higher vibration than what people are aware of, but it's not separate from us. It's not out past Mars. Everything's right here, right now. It's all connected. So it's the illusion of separation that makes things look complicated. And it is the knowing of the true nature of reality, which is connectedness, which simplifies everything. That's why the greatest teachers, all the greatest, highest master teachers of enlightenment, always teach in the most simple ways or the simplest truths. Like Jesus, Jesus you know, say, cast your bread upon the water and after many days will return to you. Well, that's pretty simple, you know. Or uh, judge not lest you be judged. You know, what he's saying, whatever you put out is going to come back to you. You know, thought, thought is cause. So these are simple truths that they said in ways that people could relate to in their time period. Which How do you recommend that people begin to integrate that simplicity when they're in a place that they know their life isn't working, but they have no idea, and maybe they're just kind of willing, they're just beginning to become aware of their willingness to actually put forth a meditation effort what would they? What would you recommend they begin to do? Maybe nature walks, just to kind of begin to tap into the idea that a still mind is a safe place. It's a an infinitely loving place. Well, there's a number of ways. Um, describe the mental discipline aspect of concentration. So, and I'll try another one, and that is love. If you go out in nature and you'll just look at a tree, and you know people talk about hugging trees, but if you touch a tree and just feel its peacefulness and appreciate its beauty, then you feel connected. You walk through a woods and your trees all around, you can feel it. I could always feel trees' energy, and they always give energy to me. That's another. Me, I feel that as well. <laughs> when I was a kid growing up on a farm, I grew up on a farm in northwest Missouri, and there was uh, fence rows made out of uh, um, a 
Osage orange or Bodark, which is uh, trees, which is hedge apple trees, and they get about 50 foot tall. And my great great grandfather planted them. They used to plant them in, in uh, quarter mile rows and mark off the land for uh, 40 acres, which is a quarter mile by a quarter mile by a quarter mile. They're a quarter mile all the way around, and uh, they plant these miles and miles of hedges. This was before there was barbed wire fencing, so they used them as a living fence because they have some thorns, but not a lot, but enough to they plant the trees close enough together, cattle couldn't get through them. Anyway, they grow up great big, and then they'd, the bottom limbs would fall off, and they'd have this big canopy that then you could run under the canopy for a quarter mile. And the limbs would go down and touch the ground, so it was like a big tunnel. And I noticed when I was a kid I could run forever in that tunnel. And yet when I would get out of that tunnel, I wouldn't have as much energy, or I couldn't quite do that for as long. And it wasn't until years later, after studying the mind, metaphysics, and prawn and life force, that I realized what I was doing as a child was just absorbing all the life force from those trees and, uh, and, and just using it. So I would have much more energy in running and doing things. And uh, so when people can be around nature, and people should be around nature every day if possible, some living plant every day, you know, that's why people have plants in their homes or offices or uh, apartments, and that's good. If you can be away from the concrete just a little bit each day and be around nature, that helps you put, it brings a, more of a connected consciousness to you than, than just everything artificial. The other thing is, is just helping other people. If you can be kind to a person, help another person every day, you are connected with them at that point. If you give to them, help them, aid them, you are practicing, the person is practicing connectedness. And in that connectedness, in that giving, we understand the true nature reality to a greater degree. So, uh, again, the phrase, Jesus' phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or, you know, the Buddha would say it the same way uh, in different words, but it's the same principle is that the reason you do that is because we live in a connected universe. And but when you put out, the, the good things you put out is what come back to you, and so everybody benefits. And so it's these little simple ways every day that um, we understand, we practice, we can practice connectedness the true nature of reality, the simplicity of superconscious mind. So how does the term carpe diem relate to the concepts in the still mind, present moment, open heart, the hope of the world? Would you give me that term again? Sure, carpe diem. Spell that? Seize, um, seize the moment is what oh. it means. So carpe diem, seize okay. the moment. It's ah. a real... Famous, um, you know, I've seen a movie Robin Williams used years, year, years ago, Dead Poets Society. Oh, I remember that movie. Yeah, I saw that. Yes, yeah, he okay. used that, that phrase. I think it's a real catchy phrase that people are familiar with, so maybe that will help them tap into the concepts seize that you've presented. Right, and, and to seize the moment. Yes. What people don't realize is they think that moment only comes every now and then, once or twice in their life or once a year or something. The moment comes all the time. To seize the moment means you act in and on the present in the present moment. Usually, when people use that phrase, seize the moment means you act on something in a dramatic way. Do you call call to arms to fight the battle, or you make a dramatic decision? Uh, you know, whatever. Invest your money at that time. Something like that. You know, ask the the other person to marry you. Whatever. Something dramatic is what they're usually talking about, and life changing. However, every moment can be like that. That's the point that I make with the present moment is when people cause themselves to be in the present moment, there's never a lack. There's never, uh, every moment is important. And they can seize every moment. 
and every moment can be dramatic. The simplest moments, the simplest times, can be very dramatic. Uh, in the morning, at the meals during the day, I sit with college students and have a meal together. And I'll, we'll sometimes take the simplest things and make the biggest teaching out of it. Just the way a person is holding their fork or their knife or passing or not passing food or where the attention is if they hear someone or don't hear someone, just the simplest thing becomes a profound teaching. And the most profound teachings are usually the simplest teachings. Very, very true. I think that you brought an important point through that lack, lack belief. So when people feel that there's not enough for them, I think that will often drive individuals into that fear-based thinking that is either in the past, like, oh, no, I couldn't pay that. Oh, no, how am I going to pay that tomorrow? especially, you know, with the economic times as they are today. So I think, like you made the point, that if we are in the present moment, there is an infinite abundance that can be tapped in this current moment. So look around you. Maybe someone will hand you a, a piece of bread, or maybe someone will give you a free milk gift certificate when you walk by them if you actually are in that moment. But if we are out of the moment, we can actually just continue, as you said in the beginning, to believe our false, illusionary thoughts that there is not enough and continue to keep those um, repetition-based patterns of lack. Exactly. So, so these patterns can all be changed or broken or replaced with something better when instead of thinking habitually in the brain, we learn to con- constantly, moment by moment, in the eternal now. Eternity is the eternal now, by the way. And we learn to make conscious choices in the eternal now. And those conscious choices are based on the conditions and circumstances right in the present moment, not based on thinking something about what happened 10 years ago that we're still holding on to because we haven't forgiven. So those present moment decisions totally responding to the present moment gives us infinite possibilities, infinite abundance, infinite energy, infinite uh, being, infinite manifestation, infinite everything in the present moment, infinite choices. Why would anyone not choose that? (laughs) (laughs) Because they would have to do some discipline to get to where they know this, and it's easier not to do the discipline. It's easier in the sense of it doesn't require effort. Just, Just the same reason why. Why, why doesn't everybody get enough exercise, physical exercise? Well, it would take some discipline. It would take some effort, you know. And uh, Very true. So it's the same thing with mental exercise, only it's even more so with mental exercise because at least with physical exercise, you see its effect on the physical body immediately and long-term. You know, you get winded if you're not in shape, and then you get your muscles stronger and your wind better, you know, as you see. But the mental discipline, it's harder to see the immediate effects and the long-term effects. They are they are visible. I mean, they become pretty profound, very profound over time. It's not so easy to see on a moment-by-moment or day-to-day basis. So the person has to be extremely self-motivated usually, although it helps to have a teacher in a class. That helps a lot. In fact, I suggest that for anyone. Still, it, it they, there is a certain amount of self-motivation required to practice because it's not all visible by the the five physical senses or the eyes. That is very true. So when you say effort, are you um, meaning it takes conscious intention, focus? Is that what effort means when you speak that? Yes, and there's something else too. Uh, there's uh, t- 
two words that I'd like to say something about. One is activity, and two is work. And I'll ask this. Do you know the difference between activity, and then I'll answer my own question. Do you know the difference between activity and work? Well, activity is when you've got an ideal and a purpose, and work is when you don't have an ideal and purpose, or and you or sometimes you just have a goal but you don't have any purpose. It's uh, work is like the thanks God it's Friday syndrome. You know, you go there, and the only reason you're at the job is to get a paycheck, and so you're glad when it's Friday so you can do something else. And if you didn't work in that paycheck, you wouldn't be there. The person wouldn't be there. Activity though means you've got uh, an ideal of what you want to become, a purpose which gives you personal benefit and therefore motivation and you've got goals, and so you're fulfilled in every moment of that activity. And that's the difference between activity and work. So that's very important to understand. If you look at life and a lot of people, if you said to them, if, if you didn't get paid for the, any money for going to the place you go to work 40 hours a week, would you still go there 40 hours a week? <laughs> well, how many of them would say yes? Very few. Yeah, I can say yes. I would continue because I don't get to draw a paycheck. So I, I would keep going to the same place I was going. But very few, probably 1% or maybe less. Maybe maybe a few more, but uh, not too many. And uh, so that tells you how many people go to work and they work for a paycheck uh, and how many people. And so you can only be fulfilled, though. True ultimate fulfillment comes from ideal purpose and activity. Working without an ideal, without a purpose, it leads to not very much fulfillment in life. And when you think about it, if we put in 40 hours of work, the average person like that on a job puts in 40 hours of work a week, well, that's the basic part of five of the seven days of the week, and it's not even something they really want to do. They're just doing it for money, but they, so that, which means they really don't want to do it. Well, and then they do that for 10, 20, 30, say 40 years, 30, 40 years out of life. Well, that's the biggest part of their life. And uh, I learned early on that I wasn't going to do that with my life. I was going to live my life to, for fulfillment, and that's the way I've lived it. And I, I would like to help everyone live their life for fulfillment instead of just for money. Absolutely, and I'll pull, um, I'll bring in here the individual, Millard Fuller, who we discussed early on in the hour, has passed on this week. He was a great inspiration to myself and one of my previous guests who we've heard, um, Dr. Betty Youngs, she had written the book about him. He was a great example of an individual who was wealthy in all abundance, a millionaire, billionaire. And he went home one day and decided that his life was no longer meaningful. They had lost the, the activity. They had become consumed in the work, as right. um, you had just said. And he then gave up all that financial abundance or materialistic energy to completely take a couple of years to find what his passion was, what his truth was, what his ideals and purpose were so he could be fulfilled because he saw a path of deep unfulfillment coming before him at that point in time. So he took about a year and a half and then he found his passion and in that passion reestablished and developed a whole organization that ended up changing, I think Betty said, a million people's lives by giving them homes. So he is a great demonstration for all of us of someone who was able to master the still mind, present moment, and open heart. Right. Right. He did. did. I do it from a little bit different perspective. He did it from giving people physical homes 
I give them, I teach them how to have a mental home, their mind. And that is so empowering. And I also say that you at the School of Metaphysics, you also teach people how to have a spiritual uh, relationship with that mind so they can have a harmonious vibration. That, that's quite true. I mean, harmony comes when things are aligned. You know, when things vibrate in such a way that that vibration works together. You know, two strings on a guitar, five strings on a guitar, and you do a chord, and, and those five strings vibrate in a certain way that is in a chord that we call harmonious. If it's not harmonious, if it's not in a chord, then we call it noise. And so uh, we teach through these exercises, through living in harmony with the universal laws and universal truth, through discipline of the mind, and aligning conscious, subconscious, and tuning to superconscious minds, we teach harmony, harmony of the individual, inner and outer. You know, it's it's a process, so it doesn't, full enlightenment doesn't happen overnight. But uh-huh. every, day, every, day's a progress, every day's progress, that's what we want to look forward to. Every day is an opportunity to improve on, on the previous day. And that's, that's what makes life fulfilling, when we know that we're making progress. I mean, I, there, I've finally, I've said to people in, this is like saying it in a negative way with a nod, but I would, would not uh, go back to the way I was, no matter how much you'd pay me, every time, every, and I'd say a little more positive, every time I've went, uh, been disciplined and stuck with it, which I have for 30 years, to go through those trying times or those challenges, because every time we're pushing ourselves to go beyond limitations, there's gonna, we're going to come up against our own limitations in consciousness, and then we have to change, you know, or release or let go of our attachments or our old ways of thinking. And every time I've done that and stayed the course, and finally I moved through it, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, I've come out on the other side with the greater consciousness, more harmony, more alignment, more attunement, more understanding of universal law and universal truth, and uh, greater stillness of mind and open heart. And so I would, no matter what effort has been required or what has been required to make those movements in consciousness a change and growth, I would not trade that for anything in the world. It's always been worth it because what I've gained is permanent and lasting. Absolutely. The consciousness that you've gained in this lifetime is going to go through your experience into eternity. Those impressions are non-erasable. <laughs> exactly. And since, and since you mentioned the word eternity, since I've got it permanently, it lasts from one present moment to the next present moment, one moment to moment to moment to moment, which is eternity. So it's always there. If we think about, if someone said to us, oh, well, if you went and bought this and it would just last you forever, like something really valuable for us, like, you know, something that would make us rich forever, you know, you you buy this once and it will just last forever, everyone would invest in it. It would become the next hot selling topic. But when you say to people, well, if you invest in yourself, you know, you really gain this forever, they look at you like, what are you talking about? (laughs) what, What are you talking about? And that's exactly what I'm offering, exactly what I'm selling, exactly what I'm teaching or presenting or or trying to help people with is something that's permanent and lasting and to their benefit and will make their life from now on uh, more rich, more rewarding, more fulfilling. And and that's the bottom line, and, and that's the best, I think. And, and I'm glad I, you know, that you're talking about somebody that, you know, waits and gets uh, works in a job or a business, and even if they get to be millionaires, sometimes it takes them 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40 years. I was fortunate enough to realize 
that I'd had enough of the standard way of life uh, when I was in my early 20s. And uh, it's when I was in, in graduate school and college. And I'd realized that it was time for me to seek something else out. And so I just, I'd finished my coursework at the University of Missouri for a master's degree, which I had to study pretty hard because there was a lot of brain memory information. And I came out of the coursework having made the grades to uh, to graduate. I still had my thesis to do, but uh, my master's thesis. And I came out on the student union and looked out across campus, and this thought came to me from on high. I know it was because it was not like any thought I'd ever had before. And the thought was these exact words, I've learned everything I can learn here. Mm. <laughs> and, that, and the meaning was, every, and I didn't know what that really meant at that time, but I knew that, uh, I know now it meant that I w no matter how long I would have stayed, and if I'd go on for a Ph.D. or whatever, I would not add anything to my soul growth or what I was here to do this lifetime. And so I, I just intuitively, I walked across the campus from the student union. It was just uh, half a block away to the uh, University of Missouri Library, and I went to all those hundreds of thousands or millions of books, whatever, and I came to this, just followed my intuition, and came to this one place, one shelf, and picked out this one tiny book, and it's a book on numerology. And I just took it, checked it out, took it home, read it that night, and it told me what the meaning of my birth date and name and, and uh, consonants and vowels and everything was and, and what that meant to me. And I had this thought, I thought, wow, this is a wonderful book. It tells me something about me. Why have I been taking these coursework, courses all these years at this college and I never found out had a course that told me about me and I'm including psychology in that because I did take psychology <laughs> and I never found out about me but this one little book tells me something about me and from then on I knew what I wanted to study I wanted to study anything that would help me develop and learn about me and that's what I've been doing and helping other people to do now for over 30 years that is fascinating we are speaking with Dr. Daniel Condren author of The Still Mind Present Moment, Open Heart, The Hope of the World. You can find him on the web at www.som.org, also at www.peacedome.org, and also at www.dreamschool.org. Yeah, Again, that's www.som.org. Go ahead, Daniel. Oh, yeah, and you can get this book, uh, Still My Present Moment, Open Heart, through uh, Barnes & Noble or Borders or uh, uh, the big uh, Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Yeah, just order it. Just ask for the the name. Still, my present moment, open heart, and my name, Daniel Condren, and it's SOM Publishing. If they ask you the pub SOM stands for School of Metaphysics, SOM Publishing, and you can get it from any of those fine places. Or once you check out our website, you can order it directly from here too, and 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 find out a lot of the different things that this 501c3 is doing. And there's classes and everything else people can check into too, so they can have a teacher and and uh, learn about these exercises and get taught and everything. And uh, it's a wonderful experience, a wonderful place to learn. So it's a not-for-profit organization. So so uh, all those things are available. And I'm also available to speak for uh, uh, other uh, radio shows or organizations or, or you know, or, or speaking engagements because um, I just want to say this truth over and over again until the whole world gets it. <laughs> wonderful. We'd love to have you back. Definitely want to keep in touch with your writings. And I'd like to mention to the audience, the book, The Still Mind, Present Moment, Open Heart, is a fantastic book because it has a very simple, simple message. And it's written, some pages only have maybe 20 words, some pages may have 50 words, but there are a few pages 
uh, excuse me, a few words on each page that are very simple and profound that offer wisdom and insight to help each individual in their unique place and align with their still mind, embrace the present moment, and maximize the openness of their heart. Therefore, just changing consciousness one life at a time. So if you're someone who's in a place and you're thinking, wow, this sounds really interesting, but I'm not sure I want to sit down and read a whole book, what's so great about this book is you can flip open the book and you can just read one page and you can shift your consciousness. And that would take just 30 seconds. Right. So the the beauty of this book is it could also be a meditation guide. It could be a morning inspirational. And, of course, if you're really interested, feel free to take it and sit down and become enthralled in the whole book. You can just read it one page a day and uh, until you read it all the way through and get, like I say, morning inspiration or thought to live by or practice. And, uh, you know, some people have said about this and the Emptiness Sutra that it, they're different than other books they've read, that reading these books is an experience that affects their consciousness. It's not just reading a book. It's a consciousness experience. And that's what I want these books to be. That's what I, what I write I want to be. I want people, when they read what I write, their consciousness shifts so that they see the world in a more open-minded, expansive um, uh, ways and different perspectives than they've ever seen them before so it opens up their heart and mind to a greater reality, to a greater consciousness, to a greater being of connectedness that connects them with the whole world and the universe. Yes, very exciting. So once again, the still mind, present moment, open heart. Balance is essential for a most desirable experience on earth. The formula for inner success can be found by embracing the moment, aligning that stillness with the radiant love in your heart. The heart speaks volumes and is the ultimate divine compass on the path to a higher consciousness, expanded perception, and more divine understanding of who you are, where you truly come from, and where you desire to go during your earthly journey. Search within your heart today and see what the moment offers. You will be pleasantly surprised by the infinite love all around and within you. Next week on February 12th, Dr. Stephen Farmer, author, shamanistic practitioner, retired spiritual psychotherapist, ordained minister, and former college professor will unveil his integrative expertise in his latest book release, Earth Magic. On February 19th, Karen Anderson, expert animal communicator, will offer her compassionate insight based upon her unique and talented ability to communicate with animals and their souls while fostering spirit messages and healing that led to the creation of her new book release, Hear All Creatures, The Journey of an Animal Communicator. On February 26th, Dr. Eric Pearl. On March 5th, Dr. Stephen Lewis. On March 12th, Barbara Marks Hubbard. On March 19th, Neil Donald Walsh. And on March 26th, we'll have Carol Obley. April 9th, we'll have Dr. Amit Goswami. On April 16th, we'll have Janine Kimmel and Amber Hinton. On April 23rd, we'll have Dr. Teresa Martin and Dr. Christine Madar. On April 30th, we'll have Lee Gertz. On May 7th, we'll have Patricia Bish. On May 14th, we'll have Ruth Probst. And on June 4th, Barbara Hancock will make her appearance. And on June 25th, we will have Matt Zoe. You can find all of our authors under the homepage on Evolution Revolution under the upcoming guest section. You can purchase all of the author's books featured on Evolution Revolution at www.amazon.com or link up to their individual websites through the Evolution Revolution homepage. 
at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. Additionally, please explore the Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors that can be found on the Evolution Revolution homepage and the Radio Archives 2007-2008 tab within the website or all episodes are available for free in the iTunes store by searching Evolution Revolution Podcasts in the search box. The archive shows are available 24 hours a day to listen to or for downloading at no charge and include amazing talent such as Egan Sanders, Ariel Ford, Peggy McCall, Eliza Matadalion, Richard Lawrence, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Dr. Amit Goswami, Michael Tamura, Gary Zukoff and Linda Francis, Neil Donald Walsh, Charles Virtue, David Robert Ord, and Dr. Betty Youngs, and more. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. I am a metaphysical teacher, healer, and spiritual counselor who offers clairvoyant readings and teleclasses via phone, allowing me to connect with people anywhere. Please visit my website at www.dulcineasdivinevision.com under the Services and Events page, which includes client testimonials and a wealth of information. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Also, please explore my blog at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.blogspot.com for weekly postings and guest announcements for Evolution Revolution. Co-create with Evolution Revolution. We are seeking partners to help Evolution Revolution evolve and expand to even more people across the globe. If you're interested in partnering and supporting the rapid development of Evolution Revolution, please explore the Evolution Revolution tab at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. I look forward to hearing from you about the infinite possibilities to co-create in the highest light and with the grandest intentions. I would also like to let you know that you can find more information in the archives about Millard Fuller and Betty Youngs. It's episode 4. And, and that will touch upon her book, The House That Love Built, and any other information seeking Millard Fuller. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening with my honored guest, Dr. Daniel Condren. Thank you so kindly, Daniel, for your wisdom and insight tonight. Welcome. It's been wonderful being on your show. You're a very wonderful spiritual person, and I really enjoy being on your show anytime. Oh, thank you. Well, we look forward to having you back soon, Daniel. Thank you. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting the revolutionary independent production of Evolution Revolution Radio. I wish you all abundant peace, joy, miracles, and love today and always. Happy New Year 2009. Create a most miraculous life this year. Abundant angel blessings. Good night.